Welcome back, everybody. We are here on the Spotify Green Room app doing our live Q&As again. Yes, it is that time in the offseason where we are bringing you onto our show, the podcast, uh, our, our weekends. Saturday morning, 1030 a.m. is usually when we do these things, Eastern time, of course. My name is Jeremy Raisman. I am the editor-in-chief over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me, as always, fielding your questions is, let's go to Eric first. I already spoiled his name. He is the managing editor <laughs> of Pride of Detroit. You can find him at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric with K. It's Eric Schlitt. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, look, it's, I'm, I'm very excited to have these back. Uh, I, I thought Ryan's, uh, tweet of the, uh, three amigos was, uh, very appropriate. <laughs> yes. Do we want to try to suss out who's who? No, no, I don't. Okay. I, Cause I know I'm going to be like, like Steve Martin or something <laughs> like, right. <laughs> the gray hair. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. exactly. Yeah, maybe. Uh, as long as I'm not Martin short, I think I'm, I'm okay. Oh, we absolutely, you are Martin Short. There's no doubt about that. Well, that leaves our Chevy Chase of the group. I hate that. I absolutely (laughs) hate that. Senior editor of Pride of Detroit, at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. It's Ryan Matthews. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I, I, I'm just so bummed out that I got stuck with Chevy Chase. Um, you, want, you want to trade? I'll take yeah. Chevy. Yeah, let's, right. let's trade. Let's trade. Right, you Honestly, can ask Steve. I think Steve Martin is, is the right choice for Like, that's the one you want to be, as long as you don't get offended by old takes. Well... Yeah, so that's why I'm switching. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, if uh, this is your first time listening to this form of our podcast, um, as I alluded to at the top, we take your questions live right here on the Spotify Green Room app. Download it for free on Apple or on Android, I believe, at this point. And make sure you're following me, Jeremy Reisman, at Pride of Detroit, and you'll, I believe, get notifications every time we go live. Otherwise, just fire up the app at 1030 and you can join us. Let's just jump right into it. I don't think we have anything we need to talk about really at the top. We've all talked on our perspective podcast about the big week that the Lions had. So I want to jump right into questions. Good with you guys? Yeah, yeah. let's do it. All right, let's start with Daniel. Daniel, you're on the line. Can you hear me? They start you up muted now, so unmute yourself. Uh, it, it threw me off. At Got the it. Too. There I it is. I can hear you. Unmuted. <laughs> How you doing, Daniel? I'm doing good. Doing good. So I moved to Mexico at the end of November, and uh, the Lions started winning. So I'm not taking credit. Oh. I am just saying. Well, you, you can't know, move now. That's it. Well, I'm in Spain. <laughs> I'm actually in Spain right now, so I'm taking a little bit of uh, travel time. But I'll be uh, I'll be back in Mexico. So right there, wanted, she wants to set me up with a friend of hers, and. Uh, we got to talking. It turns out she roots for the Packers, so we'll see how that goes. Ooh, okay. It might be yeah. a deal breaker. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Not a lot of Lions fans. Hey, but um, I wanted to ask, one of the things I've been season and another season, and we've got a pretty good idea about what Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes mean about uh, changing the changing the culture and, and what's the culture fit just kind of curious what, uh, you know, Eric, I guess, and, and the rest of you, how is that, how is, how is that changed how you view or how you evaluate prospects in the, you know, uh, and maybe that could kind of uh, open up a discussion about, you know, people that, 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 that maybe you see, you know, you've noticed that you see as being good fits for that emerging lions culture. 
I think it's a it's a great question because I, I think the lines have certainly made it clear that at least at this part in the build and probably really forever, um, culture is is not just part of the equation. It's 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 a huge part of the equation. So yeah, let, let's go to you first, Eric. Um, has has the the kind of I don't know uh, the the revelation that that culture is so important to this team mm-hmm. has that affected how you you know, maybe build a big board for the Lions this year? It comes into play for sure. But the the difficult part is, um, you know, we don't get access to the interviews that these guys do with, sure. uh, the, with the team. So, and, and, and that's really where you learn so much about the person's character. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like you can do a lot of research and, um, but when you're dealing with like, you know, four or 500 people, uh, it, it gets a little challenging to find, you know, out about the character of all of these different individuals. And so you, you can miss a lot when you're uh, doing evaluations, but then there's, there's guys that stick out, right. That like, just, it just makes a lot of sense. Like uh, leadership, right. Like we were, uh, I, the article I wrote this morning was about Nicobe Dean and Nicobe Dean is this like incredible leader on this incredible defense. Well, that that's stylistically, um, you know, and culturally, I guess I should say, that's something that's going to fit with this uh, organization. Then you look at guys like, like, for example, Josh Pascal, right? He's, he's a uh, edge rusher slash defensive lineman out of Kentucky. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people haven't even heard of this guy, but this guy is a, a, a three-time captain at Kentucky. He's a cancer survivor and he has this like incredible optimistic positivity and team oriented uh, attitude that like would really work within this locker room as well. Right. So you can find these guys that fit in, and and when you see guys like Pascal, they're going to go up your board a little bit for sure. But um, it's 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 hard to really get a, a full aspect of the culture, and that, I think that's one of the missing elements uh, when you're doing big boards and in ranking players is it's hard to get a full picture, um, you know, because like I said, we don't have access to to everything like the Lions do. Yeah, my, my favorite thing from yesterday was the, the video of Chris Spielman and, and Brad Holmes hanging out with Kayvon Thibodeau and just the the flurry of responses via tweet that are just like, oh, Chris Spielman looks angry or Brad Holmes is laughing. Like, we're, we're trying to, like, parse apart how this conversation is going with no audio, of course. And, <laughs> right. and of course, Kayvon Thibodeau is, like, kind of at the forefront of all these culture fit discussions, sure. right? Because, I mean, depending on who you ask, uh, some people think – you know, he's not necessarily culture fit. Some people think all that sort of stuff is, is overblown based on him having other interests than football. And some people think that the tape shows some of those culture concerns. I don't know. Uh, Ryan, I, I don't know if I want to pull you into the, the cave on Thibodeau discussion if you, if you don't want, but do you have, if you want to want to throw your hat into that ring, go ahead. If, if you have any other thoughts about the, the culture and how that affects the, the lines, um, you know, building aspect. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think to Eric's point, too, um, while maybe the uh, glowing displays of, you know, the hallmarks that it seems like the Lions are building this this franchise on in terms of leadership and, and commitment and, and things like that, while, while those things might move guys up the board, maybe slightly a tick, maybe, maybe you'll take that guy ahead of somebody else. I think it's important to note that the Lions, I, I don't feel like they're going to be a football team with – I, I don't think that they're going to be a team that's going to take chances on players um, that have those character concerns. And yeah. I, I think it's really interesting that you do bring up Kayvon Thibodeau because 
I feel like a lot of that has been overblown in, in the pre-draft process. Um, I, I think you know, maybe maybe there's some reason for concern with his, his you know, kind of no-show at the Combine after saying that he would participate in all the drills. But, you know, he, he goes out, he, he has an incredible pro day on Friday. And I, I think one of the most interesting quotes, I'm not sure if you guys saw this or not, but, you know, him saying that he – he thinks one of the most ridiculous things that he's heard in the pre-draft process is that he's not the best player in the draft. And, um, you know, uh, the Lions can be sitting there at two. And I think a lot of people have soured on Kayvon Thibodeau because of these quote-unquote character concerns. I, I, I think that people need to be more precise with that. I think people need to um, not just kind of stuff everything in, in one size fits all binder that says character concerns. Um, but, but to, you know, like I said, to Eric's point, I, I think while the uh, while the good marks and the good traits um, of a person's uh, you know personality and things like that will will have them kind of go up the Lions board, I don't really see the Lions you know taking any risks on players that might have legitimate question marks. I, I have I have one more question to add to this conversation really quick because it, it's a thought that's creeped into my head more than once. Are you guys at all concerned that maybe character is put too much at a premium. And the reason I say this is not because they get a guy like Jared Davis, but also kind of because of what an acquisition like Jared Davis represents, where you're, you're valuing characters super high, but maybe you're overlooking some of the serious talent concerns. Um, because I do feel like that's been an issue in the past. And like, obviously the lines didn't go for any big splashes this free agency. And I'm not saying this is the reason why, or this is the downfall of it, but do you guys have any concern that, that maybe they're, they're, willing to take a lesser player because they, they like the character so much. Look, I, I think with Jared Davis specifically, I think his contract showed right. that they're not willing, they're, they're, they're giving him a chance. It's not like they brought him on because of his character. I think his character is a plus, but. Um, well, Eric, real quick, let I, me, let me kind of add on to Jeremy's question because I think it kind of goes to speak to about the entire free agency period, right? Like the Lions are keeping guys that are in house that they have familiarity with, that they are, that they are comfortable with who they are as people, but might not be the best football players. Well, you know, I think Jeremy has, has, has hit this one, um, harped on this point several times with the resignings is that he, this looks like a re- rewarding process. You know, you, you bring guys in, you ask them to do something and then they do it. And then you reward them with this, with the second contract. They're still not going to, these contracts are all, I think, guaranteed or situated where they're not guaranteed anything. Right. So, right. A lot um, of incentives. Yeah. yeah. But, but you're giving, character guys who you asked to do something a reward and and i think that's an important right thing to do as an organization right because even in in uh chark's uh interview or a uh, presser he said that the resigning of players was intriguing to him because he he recognized that the organization was taking care of its own players right and so if you get that you know, reputation of taking care of your players, that's going to be appealing to when you need to dig into free agency, right? When you need to add uh, a couple of players that, you know, you might be fighting with another team for, if you have an organization that they're going to want to come to because of the culture, because of the coaches or, or, or whatever, like having those little intangibles could are, are something that can separate you from, you know, team X, right? Fair. 
All right, uh, we are we are in midseason form here, going ten minutes on our first question. That's how we do it around here, <laughs> Daniel. Appreciate the question. Uh, I hope we answered your question and a lot more. Oh, it's good. We're off to a good start. Thanks, guys. No problem, Daniel. Thanks for joining us. Uh, let's jump into our next caller, uh, Dan. Let's bring on Dan. Good old Dan. This is the Dan Show, man. Of course. I, I know. I, thanks. It's so good to hear you guys again. Um, it means that we're getting closer to the draft. And uh, it, I just wanted to say that this Thanksgiving weekend just became bonkersly wild. I mean, we have our Thanksgiving game, and then uh, the next day it's the three lines against the Stars and Stripes in the World Cup, which is pretty dang yeah. good. And then afterwards, the Ohio State, Michigan, and then Michigan State, Penn State. I mean, they, I'll, I'll, I'll be conked out. There'll be nothing left. <laughs> Already looking what, – what is that? Six months ahead? I love it. <laughs> I think um, I just got whiplash, man. <laughs> but I might, I, I could, my, I think my question is really simple. And I, I was watching uh, Ryan's Halo videos, imagining him killing non-Milik likers. You know what I mean? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> but um, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> but um, my question is, I feel like one thing that's missed, apart from Brunel saying he could coach a quarterback that we all know as Malik Willis. And, you know, and I love Kyle's article where he said early on in the offseason that, you know, Detroit hasn't had a, a dual threat quarterback in like 50 years. And I think we did well like 50 years ago, whatever. So my, my question is this, is as well as grit and overcoming adversity and stuff like this, it feels, especially with all of the offseason picks and the ones that we've retained, that competition is where it's at. And so where else on our team, would we need competition the most? And, and that's quarterback. Because I just want to know, and then my little follow-up thing is, those multiple names that they could write, uh, put on the card and go and sleep at night, do you guys think one of them is Malik Willis? Thanks. Ooh, I, I got to throw this to you first, Ryan, right? Like, this is, there, there's a lot there. And, and yeah, I, I kind of want to start with that second question first because that was one of the more intriguing quotes from Brad Holmes this week down at the owners' meetings and saying, there are multiple guys there at pick two where if, if they if he, they end up being the pick, he's going to be able to sleep well at night. So is Malik one of them? I hope so, man. I really, <laughs> I really hope so. Um, I I think I'm at the point where, you know, the Lions can – they can go in a variety of directions, though, and I think to, you know, to Dan's, you know, first point about, you know, this team kind of being centered on uh, competition and – you know, getting better at different positions and the lions have a chance at two to take a guy that will, that will come in and compete. And I I think that that player could be an edge rusher. I think that that player could be um, a quarterback like Malik Willis. I I really do. I think that um, it fits into the plan. I've talked about it extensively about how it fits into, to, you know, kind of the timeline that the lions might be operating on here when it comes to the rebuild. But um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's, Dan, I appreciate you uh, tossing up that pitch so I could crush it, but I feel like I hit a single. <laughs> I, I, I want to I know what Jeremy uh, and Eric both think about, um, you know, those players that Brad Holmes could, could take it to and sleep well at night. Man, I, I mean, I, I did write the, the article earlier this week thinking, you know, saying that when I, I read between the lines of what he said, including this comment, it, it really sounded to me like quarterback was not necessarily on the table. Again, the lines really went to bat for um, Jared Goff. I almost said Jared Davis. Jared Goff. Uh, well, him and, too. And, him too. <laughs> but, it. I mean, it, it, 
The plan really sounds like they're trying to build around him. Maybe I'm reading too much into bringing Josh Reynolds back, but to me that was like, here's your boy golf. We're, we're bringing him back. Let, let's see if we can, you know, get the, the offense going from the get-go this time. And and then the fact that, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it sounds weird to me. If quarterback was one of your guys at two that you'd feel comfortable grabbing, then the conversation is over. Like, that's the guy you grab. And so to me, I, it, it would be weird to even say that, there are multiple guys we'd be happy with. Well, no, if, if one of those guys is quarterback, then that's the only guy you should be happy with walking home with. If that's, if that's one of your guys that you're thinking about. So I don't know. I, maybe again, I'm, I'm reading a little bit too much in, into all these quotes, especially since, you know, general managers can't regularly be trusted this time of year. But if I had to guess, I would say Malik Willis is not one of those guys in the top two that they're considering. But uh, again, that's that's just me trying to read between the lines. I'm not I'm not necessarily pulling any inside sources here. Eric, everybody's favorite offseason word in the lead up to the draft: smokescreen. Right? Multiple <laughs> positions we'd be okay with the Lions mm-hmm. uh, taking it at you know number two, right? Well, right. And, and I think one of the quotes that that Jeremy uncovered that does resonate with me was that Holmes said he was willing to trade out of the number two pick before right. Jacksonville even made their pick. Right. And if he's willing to do that, it, it is kind of a big red flag that he might not be looking at quarterback because if like, like Jeremy just said, if you have a quarterback in mind, then that's your pick and you're not willing, you wouldn't be willing to trade out of that number two spot. Now, maybe he thinks, you know, Hey, the, the, the picks behind him aren't going to take quarterback and therefore he can trade back a couple of spots and, and, you know, he's playing the game, but, or maybe it is all a smoke screen, but that, that I'm willing to trade out a two before Jacksonville even makes their pick tells me that there are, it is multiple players. And if it is multiple players, then it's yeah. Quarterback might not be in that mix. And yeah, you know, you get, you get one shot. At taking a quarterback, and you better be sure that it's the right guy. And for me and Willis, while the upside is, of course, noticeable, you are you are still investing in a in a player that you're hoping takes next steps. And, and while he certainly could, is he gambling his potential career in Detroit? that Willis takes those next steps. That's hard to say. I mean, nobody knows that but Holmes, right? And and so that's where I have my trepidation is that I don't know if – while I see he can make it, I don't know if Holmes is willing to, to do that. He might be – he might say at this stage in the rebuild, I need to make the safe play. And the safe play is – an edge rusher, right? And and I mean, because look, you're gambling a, a bit at safety because of positional versatility. You're gambling a bit at quarterback because if the guy doesn't work out, right? Whereas with some of these edge rushers, you get a little bit more stability, and uh, you can you know you can take one and then make another play and maybe gamble a little bit later in the draft. But he's got to hit this pick, man. And, and, and if it's Willis, he's bent, he's putting all his chips in and, and they, Hey, that, if he does great, I'll be a big middle league Willis fan and I will support him. Uh, and I know all of us will, and we'll all want him to be as wildly successful as possible. And we'll be watching intently to see if he makes those steps. But I just, there's just questions, right? Like, is, is he going to do that? Um, how confident in Brad Holmes? Uh, it, it, how confident in Malik Willis is Brad Holmes? That's a question I don't think any of us have the answer to right now. And and here's the thing too: if he drafts Willis, there I mean there are already plenty of people skeptical of, of Malik Willis 
Um, but there are also some people skeptical of Brad Holmes and his ability to scout quarterbacks, right? Sure. Um, because of the Jared Goff thing in, in, in L.A. And, and now back here in Detroit. So um, he, Malik Willis is going to have some – I mean, obviously when you're drafted two overall and you're a quarterback, there's going to be huge expectations. But he's going to have to turn a lot of doubters into provers. And um, he's going to have to prove a lot of doubters into believers is what I meant to say. And he's probably not going to do it in year one. So it's going, it would be a roller coaster, but uh, should be interesting. If there if there's any last thing that I can add, it's that I am 100% sure that Lions fans would not have the patience for Malik Willis to sit behind Jared Goff. Like well, there there would there would be I mean some 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 have talked themselves into like yeah we could we could sit a whole year with uh you know Malik just kind of percolating you know with Mark Brunel you know behind the scenes. You're kidding yourself by <laughs> by by the beginning of October you'll be screaming for Jared Goff to be out of town. I was thinking uh, by the beginning of August. Okay, yeah, another. Okay, yeah, move the timeline up a little bit. <laughs> well, right, Dan, I, I appreciate. If I could just say one last thing, I, I think sure. it's one of those things where no matter who they pick, I mean, I, I think we all feel that we're going to stand behind them and, and give them a shot. You know, we we believe, even if the others don't. And but I don't think there's one pick, even Aiden. I don't think there's one pick that unifies the base enough to sort of outweigh the other bases. But I mean, I just, you know, like I feel one thing just from last year when he said he was totally, Brad said he was totally down with the quarterbacks when it was that, that big quarterback class. And of course they had just gotten Jared Goff, you know what I mean? So if that wasn't a, a kick to the mental teeth, I don't know what is, but I just think there are just, there are very important things and it's lying month. And I don't know what's true, but I totally agree with you, Jeremy, that if Malik is one of those things that they can go to bed and sleep at night, he is absolutely the pick, but thanks so much. I really appreciate it. No problem, Dan. Thanks for joining us as always. And with that, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, more of your Lions questions here on the Spotify Greenroom app. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the podcast, Spotify Green Room, answering your live lines questions. And let's waste no time and get right into it. Uh, Antonio, you're next. Antonio there. Hey, how you guys doing? Jeremy, Ryan, Eric, can you hear me? 
Yeah, loud and clear. How's it going, Antonio? Awesome, awesome. Good to be on. Thanks, for guys, for doing this. Uh, sure. Great. Hey, listen, so I have a, a two-part question, I guess, centering on the whole debate between Thibodeau and Walker. Um, I, you know, I had a conversation with a buddy yesterday, and we the, the, it was centered around his production, uh, Thibodeau's production versus, you know, Walker's production in college. And, uh, you know, for, for starters, like I'm totally burnt out with this whole debate anyway. Um, but my, my argument was that, you know, if you're taking last year into account, he only had one less sack than Thibodeau did. Walker did had one less sack and, and he played multiple positions. So, and his argument was, well, Thibodeau played uh, in three less games too. And he had a higher pressure rate. So, you know, so, to me, like, is there a way, because I don't have a PFF account, or, but is there a way we can, or does anybody know, like, the breakdown? Because I'm willing to think that if you know, the snap count to me is more important than the games played, and how many snaps did Walker play on edge and what his pressure rate was versus, you know, Thibodeau's. Uh, I, I don't know if that information is out there, but, um, you know, just wanted to see that comparison. And the, the, the second part of my question is that since uh, Campbell said that we were going to be playing more four-man fronts, uh, doesn't to me, doesn't Walker seem like a better fit for that? And it, where would Thibodeau play if we're playing more four-man fronts? I'm going to throw this one straight to Eric since he's been in the in the crux of this debate since taking <laughs> Trayvon Walker in the Pride Detroit community mock. So uh, I don't know if you have those numbers. If you don't, I can get on them really quick. Uh, I uh, I actually have them right here. If, oh, if, if I can jump in, unless Please. Eric, do you, do you have some? Do you have some other numbers too? No, go. If you have something, go ahead. Okay, yeah. So uh, Ben Lindsay from uh, PFF. Uh, 2021 PFF pass rush win rates, um, removing all screens, PAs, or designed rollouts. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau with a 30% pass rush win rate, Trayvon Walker with an 11% pass rush win rate. Now, I mean, those are percentages, right? And, and I'm assuming that there's probably a minimum amount of snaps um, that come with, with those statistics as well. But, um, you know, some of the other top edge rushers, Aiden Hutchinson, 33%, uh, George Karloftis, 29%, Boye Mafe, 25%, and Jermaine Johnson, 17%. But, I mean, that that's that speaks to the overall concerns about Trayvon Walker, right, Eric, is, is the lack of productivity. Okay, so <laughs> a couple of things. Um, one – the thing that we have to remember, um, I think that that, that'll, that a lot of people get, I think, forget about, is, is that they they look at PFF numbers and they treat them like statistics, right? And, and they're not. Uh, PFF numbers are essentially someone weighing an opinion on a play and assigning a grade, and then those grades, you know, translate into their scores, right? And there's this whole elaborate system that they go through. But it's but the crux of all of these win percentages and stuff like that are, are all based on someone's opinion, right? So we we first thing we need to do is we need to be careful in, in with any statistics and in getting overly drawn into them, right? Whether it's PFF uh, or, you know, like any measurable scores, right? Like there's always... A, a grain of salt and there's always a like an asterisk that needs to be put on any of these statistics. Like you can take any, uh, almost any statistic and, and bend it in a way to fit your narrative. And I think that happens a lot. Right. And so what I 
what I want to, to to point out here with Walker is that he gets labeled as a guy who wasn't productive because, um, you know, because of the position he played. Well, look, he did play a lot of different positions, right? Uh, he played on the edge. He played inside. When Jordan Davis, their defensive tackle, who's going to go in the first round, when he would leave the field, Trayvon Walker would slide inside, right? And so when you when you move inside to like a three technique, you're not going to put up pass rushing percentages, right? And then you're in your and even when when you're on the outside, you're not always he's not always asked to get to the pass rusher because of the scheme that they run, right? Because in George's scheme, it's more of a two gapping scheme where he's asked to set an edge to create opportunities for the linebackers to come off the edge clean, which we saw a lot with, with Georgia. And so the assignments, the roles, like it's, there's so much that um, there's so many, so many like ways of perceiving what a player's job is that it's really hard to, put a ton of weight into these statistics, right? So the best example I can think of is uh, when Jabril Peppers came out. And in and, and Don Brown's scheme, uh, Peppers' job as the kind of rover linebacker edge guy was his job was to get outside and um, convert uh, or, or revert traffic back into the middle of the field so someone else could make a play. And he, when this play comes sweep right, Peppers gets to the outside. He and he you know, blocks off his blocker and diverts the play. He does exactly what he's supposed to do. Well, PFF just leaned on him for that and talked about how he didn't get off blocks and he didn't make the play and he 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 took the poor angle. They didn't understand what his assignment was, right? And so, like these are all he actually did exactly what he was supposed to do because that's what the scheme called for. And and so if you ignore the scheme and you just look at these raw numbers, they're going to favor attacking schemes uh, for defensive players, as opposed to like these two gapping schemes, like we see at Georgia, like Jordan Davis, Wyatt, those defensive linemen on Georgia, they also aren't going to have the statistical numbers. Like they're, they're also going to be guys like if Trayvon Walker was not labeled an edge, if he was labeled a defensive lineman, no one would care. What, they'd be like, hey, he's a defensive tackle, and he got six and a half sacks. Oh, boy, is this guy going to be the next Aaron Donald? Like, that's what the conversation would be like, right? Yeah. But it's, but he's not. He played the edge. He stood up, and he did that because he's this freaky athlete, right? And so labels, statistics, they all skewed. You have to really kind of set that aside and look at what the player does. And, and I think that's where he kind of gets the raw deal, right? Um so the original question Antonio asked was, <laughs> is there a statistic that you can use? Well, there, there's really not, right? There's not a definitive thing that we can point to. And that's why you have these GMs that, like, look at what Brandt Holmes says. I watched the tape and I used the numbers to back up what I see. Yeah. When I saw Cooper Cup play, he looked fast. When he ran a slow 40, I said, oh, boy, that's great for us because he's going to fall, Right. That mentality is what the Lions approach is. And so they're not going to look at, um, you know, like, I mean, are they going to, they're going to look at his stats and they're going to be like, okay, was it good? Was it not? They're going to look at those specific plays and they're going to say, okay, did he, was it a coverage sack? Was it, did he just beat the passer? What was his role? Like they're going to break those plays down, but they're not going to like take six and a half sacks and be like, 
well, that doesn't meet uh, our threshold of what we want in an edge rusher because he's really not. He's this multi-versatile defensive lineman. And so, you and, and honestly, you can't even compare Trayvon to Hutchinson even that much because they did play slightly different, right? Yeah. And so, it, it's a it's a cautionary tale, I think, this year to get too caught up in numbers because the players at the top, specifically on the defensive line, all had very wide ranging roles. And and, and so it's tough to put them into a box and compare and have an apples to apples comparison. So I've, I've lingered too long. I apologize. (laughs) Well, I I just want to say quickly to to your point, Eric, is that I think people are trying to find some way to differentiate these guys from one another. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're such a murky top five that, I think people are are just trying to find a way to rationalize like, okay, like this player is better than this player. Yeah. And I think that just speaks to the, the uncertainness of, of how the top five, how the top 10 is going to shake out. And I think yeah. part of it too, is that these top three edge guys, they're all pretty different from each other. They all bring right. a lot of different things to, to the table. And that's where I think some of the confusion is, is like, which one is the best fit. So with that, let's, let's lead into the other question here that Antonio raises do you guys have any concerns about Kayvon Thibodeau's fit because the lines are going to more four down men sets? The biggest concern I have is because he, he's gone on record and said that he prefers to be a three, uh, a stand-up outside linebacker. So mm-hmm. that right there raises concerns. Now, is he capable of playing as a 4-3 DN? Yeah, he is, right? And, and if the Lions want a guy who can come off the edge, then they may have – Thibodeau ahead of Walker or, or I mean maybe they even have him ahead of Hutchinson which I I don't I'm not so sure about that but um, it, if he has the traits that they're looking for then then yeah he could be higher up and he can and, and but make no mistake they're gonna if, if they're looking at one of these guys they're going to have that role already played out already in mind and right. but there's so many of those little things that like that he likes to be in a three four that that he you know he has some on-field – I have some on-field concerns for him. I have on-field concerns for all three of these guys, right? But – and even John, John – even no, Jermaine Johnson too, right? Like, yeah. So, um, so it just – it really depends on, like, what I think they're looking for. And, and if they, they've come out and said, yeah, they're looking for this 4-3 edge and which one of these guys best fits it and what exactly are they looking for. Um, Hutchinson gives them that, that kind of power left end. Uh, Thibodeau gives them more of an athletic, uh, right end. Walker gives them more, I could put more like Trey flowers, but like, you know, a, a souped up superhero version of Trey flowers. Right. And so like, it really just depends like what exactly they want. And so I I've made my choice based on what I think they're going to do, but I could be wrong because they could be looking at, you know, they want a, a guy who's more bendy. And if they do, then Trayvon Walker is not going to be their pick. It's probably going to be uh, Thibodeau if Hutchinson's off the board. And and the other thing to, to keep in mind here too, is maybe they don't go by, you know, who fits best because why are they going to more four, three fronts? Because their personnel better fits it. Right. And so if they get, a, if they think one of these guys is significantly better than the other, then maybe they go back on their word a little bit, little bit if he's more of a 3-4 guy, right? Because uh, Yeah, if they think he's the guy, absolutely. Yeah, they, they are going to fit their scheme to their their talent. And if they think one of these guys separates from the other two, then I think they're, they're just going to take him. 
yeah, it's significant I, enough. And, and I think that there's a lot of truth to what you know the the coaching staff is talking about moving to that to that four three because, like you said, Jeremy, it better fits their personnel. But I, I think we can all agree that, like we just said, they're going to adapt their scheme to the best players that they can put on their roster. And I, I think what's most interesting to to Eric's point is that's why we've seen Jermaine Johnson move so high up the ranks, right? Like, I mean, if the Lions truly want a traditional, like, edge-shedding, you know, 4-3 defensive end, that's why Dave Burkett put him at number two because, like, hey, if they're looking for somebody in the mold of Aiden Hutchinson and they're not going to get him because he goes one, well, Jermaine might be that guy. And to add on to that, um, he remember, he played at Georgia in their two-gapping scheme, so he has that familiarity as well, right? And for a a defensive – uh, defense like the Lions that wants to be somewhat of a hybrid and be able to flex in and out of uh, three-man fronts, four-man fronts, Johnson is maybe a guy that isn't getting talked about enough. Yeah, I, I'm also not planning my flag for Jermaine at two. I I think that's no, I'm, I'm, I, I think that's wild I'm with, I'm uh, to have him that high. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, for certainly. All right, well we we hit the top four edge pretty hard there. Uh, thanks for the question, Antonio. Appreciate you. All right, thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. No problem. All right, let's jump to Michael next. Michael, you're there? I am. Thanks for getting me on. Really no appreciate you guys bringing this format back. I love the uh, the green, wood, green room setup that you guys do. We we have a blast doing it, too. So we I, we were just eager to, to finally get our uh, schedules aligned to, to get back into it. So here's my question. We're looking at a long-term rebuild with these guys. And at number two, it seems to me you would want a player that would be a second contract player. My concern with Thibodeau, as he hits me like uh, Sue was, was that after the first contract, he's out of here. He's going to greener pastures. Do you think that has any impact on their decision-making process? It's an interesting question because uh, you're not the first person to make a a Sue-like comparison between Thibodeau and and, and Sue. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I I think you're right that – Absolutely, you you want this guy, whoever you're going to pick it to, to be around for certainly more than four or five years. Um, I I think this probably just boils down to whether you think that the character concerns are are real or not with Thibodeau. And uh, I I guess I I could make the question that simple or not, but uh, I don't know. What what do you guys think about how much being around long term for at least a second contract factors into to who they take here? I think it factors in, but I don't think it'd be a driving force. you know, I, I think a lot of us forget that that Sue was a guy that the Lions wanted to bring back, and he was negotiating a contract to stay as well. The problem was is that with the way the the rookie salary cap was previously, they were strapped with some really big contracts with Calvin sure. Johnson and with Matthew Stafford at the time, and they weren't able to really afford to keep another top two um, defense or player on the roster. They just didn't have the the, the salary cap, right? Um, but I, I do think. It, it it factors in, but it's not going to be driving, right? Because look, this this regime may not be there when he when his contract runs up, and, and I'm not trying like that's just the reality of the NFL, right? Right. And so, um, I think it's not going to be an overriding decision uh, point, but I think you know you can it, if it's that is a concern if you are looking at you know, you know, Hey, I'm going to be here. Hey, I want to build this foundation. I, yeah. It, I mean, it, it can come up, but I don't think it'll be too big of a concern. Any thoughts, Ryan? No, I, I think that sums it up pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one thing I would say is like, it's kind of the lion's responsibility 
no matter who they pick to convince this person it's worth sticking around, right? Like, I mean, obviously when you hit free agency, money talks loudest, but you want to sign these guys before they even get free agency. And so they have to convince you that, that they're worth re-signing and you have to convince them that, you know, what you're building here in Detroit is going to turn into championships eventually. I mean, you'd hope by the time whoever gets drafted second overall in year four or year five, like this is a team that's winning the NFC North or at least very close to winning the NFC North. Um, and so maybe heading towards greener pastures isn't really a thing. Maybe the greener pastures are here in Detroit. So I, I guess I wouldn't be thinking about it too much if I'm picking this player one, because you never really know. You, you can't really say for sure. Kayvon Thibodeau's there's no way the dude's going to sign a second contract here, but mostly like it's, it's the lines. It's on the lines to make it a, a, a place wanting to come back. And so I don't, I don't think necessarily the, the character of, of a player in this like character obviously matters, but I don't, I don't think you can necessarily project four years in the future and say, Hey, this guy's not going to come back. I also want to point out the fact that he's 21, you know, like right. things, things change between 21 and 26. Right. <laughs> I would um, hope so. <laughs> right. And so um, a lot of stuff can, can happen to a player. I mean, look, look, look at Hawkinson. Right when Hawkinson was drafted, <laughs> he was this clean-cut, <laughs> suit-wearing guy. Now he looks like he's like you know spending his uh, his days at the beach. Right, so um, it, he's completely transformed. I mean, I mean, look, he's he, he's a WWE wrestler at this point, right? And so honestly, like, and so um, yeah, I mean, these these guys, things are gonna things can change, and so you, you can't you can't bake too much on the future. Fair enough. All right, Michael, appreciate the question, man. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on to our next one. Uh, Justin, you're on the call. Justin, are you there? Hey guys, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Um, so I had actually one question prepared about Malik Willis and, uh, sure enough, the first two callers uh, (laughs) (laughs) talked a lot about that. So my question was going to be, you know, how do you guys potentially see him as a culture fit? You know, there's been a lot of um, input about his performance or, you know, does he fit, uh, you know, what you would expect of a top quarterback, you know, to take there at the draft. Um, so if, if you don't have a different way of spinning that or would like to talk about that, that's totally fine. Cause I thought of a couple others. So, um, I guess my question would be, um, aside from Malik Willis, um, how do you weigh, you know, positional depth or strengthening a position, say, versus like a need? So like when I kind of think of that, I think of like Kyle Hamilton at safety where we kind of have a glaring hole aside from Tracy Walker, whereas defensive end, it still is a need. But I would say, you know, having Charles Harris, having Romeo Aquara, having Julian Aquara as well on the rise, um, I would say that's less of a need, although, of course, having elite uh, edge rushing talent is always a good thing. But um, that would be my question. So if you want to try to sp- spin the Malik Willis thing a different way in terms of culture fit, um, that would be good. But otherwise, that would be my question. Yeah, let's uh, let's quickly touch on Malik uh, because I, I think we're probably all in agreement here. Like culture fit in terms of his leadership and everything, I don't think there are any questions about him there, are there? Do you guys Zero. have any concerns about him? No. No, yeah, if anything, nothing. he's he's one of the better leaders, right? Like yeah. that's one of the things that you look for when when you're scouting quarterbacks at the combine or at the pro days or or at um you know senior bowls and whatnot. One of the things you're looking for is what do they do when the 
when they're not throwing the ball, right? Like how do how do people gravitate towards them? And look, you saw it firsthand, yep. uh, and you've talked about it plenty that like there was a very noticeable gravitation towards uh, Willis and his leadership. And I mean, look, if you saw his pro day, he was just out there having fun. Right. And and that is the type of relaxed attitude that I think would fit perfectly with this regime. And and one of the other things that you noticed in his pro day too, Eric, is that it was all of his teammates, right? Like he seems like he's a very teammate oriented player where it's about the group um, and it doesn't seem like it's so much about him. I mean, I, I think what's most interesting about Malik Willis's path to like where he ended up in Liberty is that, you know, he starts out getting recruited by Virginia Tech as an athlete, um, then ends up going to, to Auburn and, you know, loses the starting job to Bo Nix. So then he has to end up at Liberty with Hugh Freeze. <clears throat> but all, th- all, all like during that time, like he, he stuck with, what he wanted to be and he wanted to be a quarterback and he wanted the opportunity. And I think to have that kind of conviction, um, but to also have that, um, that mentality about the team. Um, I, I think that speaks to, to who he is as a person. And uh, I, I think he'd be, I think he has all the leadership qualities that you would want out of a, a starting quarterback for sure. Yeah. I, I'm going to take it one step further Please. for you. Uh, Trey, <laughs> Trey Turner from Virginia tech went to Liberty's pro day just to catch passes from uh, from Willis, right? Because they have a bond that goes back before college, right? Like, yeah. He's not just – it's not just his college team. It's his high school team. It's, it's his other team. Like, he, he creates bonds and people show up for him, and that is a big character plus. And, and, and there is nothing about Malik Willis during the season where he was, you know – dragging his team down or pointing to the fact that he's getting sacked nine times a game because his offensive line is, is Swiss cheese, right? Like he's, he's not out there, you know, trying to pump himself up and and push down others. So yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah. No, I think, I think we're all in agreement there. The the guy is, is is a born leader. Um, But, but I'm, I want I'm interested in the other question there because I, I actually have a a take on it, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think in terms of how big, the line should be prioritizing need right now. Um, because I, I, I hear a lot of this question, especially as it pertains to how the lines approach free agency, right? Like there are still some big holes on this team. They still need potentially a, a starting linebacker, a starting safety, maybe two starting linebackers, maybe two starting safeties, um, interior presence, all this stuff. How much, especially at two or I guess early in the draft, do you think lines need to be prioritizing those needs right there? Time is a flat circle, right, Eric? Like, weren't we having this discussion last year? I mean, amongst right. others, but Micah Parsons, right? Uh, the, the the positional value of taking an off-the-ball linebacker that high in the draft, right? Um, I, I, I feel like you should just start with, with Kyle Hamilton. I mean, I, I know you kind of were at the forefront of talking about positional value when it came to safeties and, and contracts and value and things like that. So I, I think I think the discussion has to start there because a lot of people think he's the best player in the draft, right? Yeah, and if the Lions think he's the best player in the draft, then you take him, right? It, it's You have holes in a lot of different spots, but you also have players and spots on shorter contracts, right? And so you, yeah. you when you're – what I think a lot of people do – when they look at need, when it concerns the draft is they're looking at what is the need now? Whereas a lot of GMs will look at it and say, what is the need? Not next now, but, but next year. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I will typically put up, I will typically make a, um, a, a roster 
that shows just the guys that are under contract for the next season, just so I can see where the holes are, because those will play a factor right now. You've got Tracy Walker under contract and in, but you, if you're not excited about Will Harris, which I, I don't think anybody really is outside of coaching staff, um, then yeah, he safety is going to be a need now, but it's also going to be a need next year. So that's, that's a, a kind of a, a need with an asterisk, right? Because it's going to be a need now and long term. You could you could argue the same thing with a lot of those different positions, like like you mentioned, linebacker, and then you have some question marks on the edge too. So, but the bottom line is you've got to take the best player where the need kind of makes sense, right? And and if you think that best player is at a non-traditional, you know, position of value, then ignore it if it's all it all that matters is that you get a guy that you can get into the organization that's going to improve your team and there's so many different ways that they can go with that that if Kyle Hamilton is the best player I have no issue with them taking him that high personally I think there's I have a, a slightly different perspective where I value the edge guys a little bit more but I would totally understand if that's the avenue that they took so um need is important and and it and it's it's there, but it, it can't be again. It can't be a driving factor in, in decision making. You've got to be able to just take the best guy that's going to make your team better. And but I mean, of course, it's it's got to make sense too, right? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get into the let's draft an offensive tackle discussion again. Please no, <laughs> right? Save yeah. us all, Jeremy. So, I want your take. It, it's a lot like what Eric is saying here because. To me, it's just like I hear people all the time saying, like, well, they have to take a safety with one of their top three picks. They have to take a lot. Why? No, <laughs> they don't. They don't need to fix that problem this year. They're not going to fix all of their problems in year two. I'm sorry. Like, I know they have a lot of draft capital and there might, you know, if the player matches up with the need, great. But to me, it like there is no like elite talent on this defense right now. You could get an elite talent at any position and it's going to be an upgrade. And that's what they should be doing. They need elite players. They need game changers. That's the word that Brad Holmes used a couple times this week. They need game changers. And I don't care what position it's at. I don't care. I mean, I again, offensive tackle, let's take that one off the board. But if this team just needs game changers, this this team needs guys that they can build a foundation around. And if that means putting off safety another year, if that means putting off linebacker another year, so be it. This team is not going to win the Super Bowl this year. And they're not, and it's not like, oh, well, if they get their safety this year, then, oh, suddenly the safety position is fixed. Well, maybe it's fixed. It's not. It's probably not fixed this year. A rookie's not going to come in and, and change the world for them on defense. So, I mean, you, you got to take the patient approach here. And, and like Eric said, you always got to look at needs beyond just this year, too, when you're drafting. And in that case, like, Lions just don't have a lot of foundational pieces on on defense. Really, they only have a few on offense in terms of skill positions, too. So, I'm not limiting myself at anything when it comes to to needs, honestly, um, outside of maybe most of the offensive line. Yeah, the three most solidified spots on this roster are left tackle, right tackle, and center. Yep. <laughs> right? Honestly. Yep. Yeah, yep. And that's <clears throat> true. Is there anybody else like that's a foundational piece of this team right now? Outside of those three, like that that are you know are gonna be around in three years? Two years? <laughs> That's the point, right? There's, yeah, yeah, it's no, hard, that's it's what, hard to come up with any answer. So, don't, don't, don't box yourself into a safety in your top three picks just because it's the weakest point in your roster right now. 
I, I just have an interesting thought. Like, if there was any hierarchy to this wide receiver class, like, I wouldn't even – I wouldn't have taken that off the board. Like, if there was a surefire Jamar Chase-type receiver, I, I think the Lions would even entertain that idea. Yeah. I mean, I, may, maybe the only other guy that, that we're not talking about is, is Amon Ra. Like, he's he's probably on the team long term. But Hopefully. That's, that's only one wide receiver position of three, essentially. So Right. Don't don't limit yourself. That's don't all limit yourself. Don't limit yourself in 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 the world or in the draft. <laughs> but you also want to embrace who you are. I, I heard that from um, from Eric a few times this week. Yes. Very very wise advice from the Pride of Detroit staff. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. Appreciate that. And with that, we're going to take our second break. When we come back, we're going to close it out here on the Spotify Green Room app, answering all your Lions questions four weeks away from the NFL draft. We'll be right back. Closing up shop here on the Spotify Green Room app. Trying to get to all of your questions here. Again, if you want to join us uh, Saturday mornings, 10.30 a.m., download the Spotify Green Room app, follow us, and we'll try to get to your questions. We got four that we're, we're going to try to just run through these as quick as possible, and hopefully uh, we can do that in a timely manner. But knowing us, probably not going to happen. Uh, let's start with our friend Mathis. Mathis, are you there? Looks like you're muted there, Mathis. Okay. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, so you guys actually kind of kind of answered the, the question that I wanted to ask, but let's just talk a little bit more about the safety group. Sure. Um, so I, like, I, I was of the, I'm the, I was of, I, I am of the opinion that we probably should draft two safeties. Um, <laughs> um but um, if so, if we are to draft um, two safeties, um, who are outside of Kyle Hamilton, who I think if you wanted to get him, you'd have to pick him with the number two pick or something like that. Um, who do you think who are some of the other who's like the the like the guys you would pick at probably like in the second, maybe even third round or then the guys you would pick later in day three that would that would be um, that we should be looking out looking out for looking at i like this question and not because we just talked about how it's not necessary to to get a safety but it's also good to point out that it's pretty decent safety class and it might line up in terms of value and and where the lines pick here because a lot of people are are you know mocking them at 32 or 34 to get one or or maybe even with 66 there but um let's start with you eric who are who are some of the your favorite safeties in this class outside of kyle hamilton that might fit um value for where the lines are picking at the, at the 32, 34 spot. Um, there's, there's three players that I have kind of honed in on that. Uh, if any of them are there, I think they would get consideration because it's, it's, a, it's a need and it's good value. Uh, Daxton Hill from Michigan, uh, Brisker from Penn state and uh, Lewis scene from Georgia. I think all three of those guys 
are uh, versatile, where they can uh, survive in a split zone really well, and they also have some other intangible, right? Um, like Brisker and Seen are, are can be hitters, so they could fill into that what what Will Harris kind of did last year, kind of like de facto strong safety, but it, you know in a split zone you really need to be able to do both free and and, and yeah. strong. So uh, Dax gives you a little bit more flexibility because he can also play the slot as a, as a nickel. He can play outside a corner. And so um, he has even more range, I guess. And, and that puts him a little higher on my board. Um, I do think Will Harris is going to kind of slide into that role though. Like I think, you know, what they did last year with him, trying him at, at nickel, trying him on the outside. I think they discovered that he plays a little bit better when you move him around and put him in more matchup situations, as opposed to just asking him to fill a split zone role. And so I do think they'll be looking for a, a, a more of a pure split zone guy. So uh, Brisker and scene make a lot of sense to me. I, like I said, I like Hill better, but, I don't, uh, I don't, one, I don't think he'll be there. Uh, but two, um, you know, I think, I think Brisker and C make, make a ton of sense. Uh, if you want to get to the third round, uh, Brian Cook from Cincinnati, Kirby Joseph from Illinois, even Nick Cross from Maryland, those three guys in that third round, um, you might have to take them at 66. Some of them might slide into 97. It's possible one of those three guys is there at 97. Uh, if you want to go to day three, and you're still looking at split zone. Uh, JT Woods makes some sense. Another a ba- out of Baylor is uh, a guy who I think you could be, who could be kind of like a CJ Moore, who you could develop into maybe a starter role. Uh, but Mathis, you know, said, hey, what if you're going to take two of them in this class? Well, if you're going to take two of them, then you're going to be looking for more. Uh, that second one, you're going to look for a guy who can do multiple things. Like, um, uh, Tyson Anderson, who was with them at the Senior Bowl, who started uh, with them at the Senior Bowl out of Toledo. This is a guy who can play the slot. He can play the robber. He can live at the linebacker level. That's a guy you can probably find on day three. And um, he can fill a role that does multiple things. And I, I really think if they were to take two, that's the type of player that they would be looking for yeah. um, on that third day. Ryan, I know uh, Alex dropped a, a pretty nice uh, breakdown of, I think, the top eight safeties I want to say in this class. Are there any in particular you're hoping the Lions are, are, are ta- targeting uh, at the end of the month? Well, I, I was listening pretty intently uh, to what Eric was saying, and I, I don't believe you said Jalen Peter's name. Are, are, how, how do you feel about Jalen Peter, Eric? He's, he's uh, safety five for me. For me okay. A, a lot of people are going to put him in that same tier as Brisker and scene. And I totally get that. Um, I'm, I'm, tick lower but i don't know i i'm i'm gonna go back and look at him again i've only watched him one time uh well you know a couple games uh but i need i probably need to go back and take a look at him again because he's really been getting a lot more love than i think i gave him credit for yeah and and he really projects as like a like a slot plus kind of player right like he he, he needs to maybe be a little bit more versatile he he's kind of he, he would be like your second option behind like Daxton Hill to do what Daxton Hill might be asked to do um, at the at the NFL level, right? He's really unique in the fact that like there's been so many wildly wide comparisons. Oh yeah, for him. like Tyron Matthew, I've, I've right? Seen people, I've seen Tyron Matthew, but then I've also seen like Antoine Winfield, or uh, who you know is more of a free, and then I'm, and then Tracy Walker, he's been compared to as well. Uh, now he does not. He's like he's got 
like four inches less on his arms than Tracy does. Right. But, um, but there like, will, there will never be a second Tracy Walker. There, <laughs> they broke but, the mold, um, man. <laughs> but, but I think, I think he can play. I think he can play in the box even. Sure. You know what I mean? Like he does. When, when I saw him, I saw a guy who was, mo- was like uh, more of a slot box type of player. Uh, but there's a lot of people that are saying, hey, no, he can play deep. He can play a little. And so I need to go back and, and watch that aspect because he does get a lot of love for being able to play a little bit deeper and, and having more versatility than I think I originally did. So, and, and I think to his draft stock, like where you kind of have him right now, Eric, might be a little bit too high to go 32 or 34, but probably won't be on the board at 66. No, yeah, I agree with that completely. All right, I think we I think we tackled all of the top them. of that safety class, all of them. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, that gets you gets your your answer, Mathis. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, let's Thank let's try to yeah, no problem. Let's try to fire through these last three. Uh, Jamie is next. Jamie, are you there? I think you may have muted yourself. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. There we go. No worries. Uh, hello. Uh, firstly, thank you for all the content. I really enjoy the sort of stuff that Pride of Detroit, um, you know, produce. Uh, my question is sort of connected to Malik Willis, really. Uh, and I just wanted to know what, how much you, for you personally, the kind of off-season free agency deals play into draft calculations. Because obviously there's a kind of cliche that you either have a quarterback or you're looking for one. And I have a slight concern that the Lions in a year or so get into the so-called kind of QB purgatory Mm-hmm. And it strikes me as kind of prohibitively expensive to try and get a quarterback. And that in effect, if you're in a situation where you can get one and that the you know, second overall pick is a prime opportunity to do so, that it's sometimes better to be bold than uh, cautious, particularly if you're a GM with only a kind of a, a certain window to actually turn things around. Yeah, I, I Great question, because I think that's that's a really good argument for grabbing a quarterback. And I know it's one that Ryan's very passionate about and that the Lions are in a prime opportunity right now, both in terms of where they are in the draft and in terms of where they are in the rebuild to grab a quarterback. And in an ideal world, the Lions would be facing a situation where there was a consensus, number one, who was not only the number one quarterback in this draft, but the number one talent in this draft, because they got the, the Jaguars ahead of them who had that guy last year. And so they'd been in a real good position to get him. Um, but it's not quite that simple this year, unfortunately, as it never seems to be with the Lions fans. So, yeah, I guess how much does just the, the scenario of being in the right place, right time to grab a quarterback factors into grabbing a quarterback, even if there are questions about whether they are the guy? Yeah, the, the cautionary tale is the Indianapolis Colts, right? Like the team that seemingly has everything else in place, but – Tried, tried their shot on Carson Wentz last year and honestly probably would have been, you know, uh, you know, probably would have been a playoff team if, if somebody else may have been under center. And, and, and now they're moving on to Matt Ryan. And, and that's kind of the cautionary tale. And I think that's why Lions fans are concerned about the idea of, you know, if they don't have a plan at quarterback, well, then they need to get one figured out sooner than later. I'm just interested in, in where that falls on the timeline. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with Jared Goff, right? Like, I think that we can all agree that the the front office, the coaching staff, they seem to have a lot of confidence in the guy. And, I, I mean, their, their offseason kind of goes to show it. Like you said, Jeremy, I don't think it should be overstated that, you know, Josh Reynolds is somebody who really kind of earned a spot on this roster because of Jared Goff. 
um, the way that the team played down the stretch. You know, having Jared Goff keeps you afloat, but how long can keeping you afloat, you know, elicit confidence and and elicit, you know, the you know the Lions. I mean, face it. I mean they. They they were down in attendance last year, and you know there there you know other contributing factors to that, but that that's one of my mainstays about Malik Willis is that he is an exciting player, right? Like <laughs> he will put butts in the seat. There's no he, doubt about that. Yeah, there there's no doubt that a that a you know top flight quarterback like that with the athleticism that he has is going to drum up excitement. Um, but at the same time, that excitement might have to you might have to wait on it, right? And yep. and that's a tough sell. Yeah, not only that, like, I mean, we see every draft, like, they're, and usually it happens later in the draft, right? Like, 16s, 20s, people start reaching for a quarterback because of a lot of things that yeah. we're saying right now, because you don't have your quarterback, because you're in a position where you think your guy is there, but you don't want to reach because then you get Mitchell Trubisky's, right? Like, and so it, it's this balance of, you know, thinking that you're in the prime position to grab a quarterback and making sure that that quarterback is actually going to be the guy. And so I don't know where you fall on all this, Eric. It's, it's a complicated, complicated formula because I'm, I'm sure you agree that in an ideal world, this, this would be your, the, the year to grab a quarterback. But does that mean taking the being bold? Like, like Jamie said, to, to grab a guy like Malik. Yeah. I, for me, it just, I don't think it's, it's worth the risk for Holmes. I think he seems more risk adverse on this situation. And I think he, th- he feels comfortable with, with golf. And if you can establish your team and, and uh, you know, you want to add a piece, you know, look at what we've seen this past off season. It, it it's costly, but it's possible for you to, to go out and get your guy. And it wouldn't surprise me knowing where Brad Holmes comes from. If he took that approach, if he was more willing to say, hey, once I have my foundation in, in place, that I'm willing to give up uh, draft capital in order to try and secure a guy that I believe in because I feel confident in my ability to draft beyond you know the first round. So um, it, it is a tough question. And it is kind of the lines are in a difficult spot because, you know, it, it things have not matched up this year, but you never know, like they're going to go in the next season with, with two uh, first round draft picks or no next off season with two first round draft picks. And you're always going to have uh, future first round draft picks as well. So, you know, if they're in a spot where they can be aggressive uh, and they like a guy uh, next year, I don't think they're, they're going to, you know, hesitate to, to make that move then yes would it be ideal to have that guy now yeah sure but i i just don't know if malik is that guy for them uh maybe he is but um and and then everything works out like you know road comes up roses but if he's not then they're gonna have to make some concessions to get a quarterback probably down the road yeah and, and the one thing i'll, I'll add is I, I i guess i wouldn't really prescribe to the the ideal the ideology that you can just well let's pass on to this year and we'll get one next year because yeah they, they do have some draft capital yes they can dig into next draft capital next year's draft capital but they're going to be other quarterback needy teams next year there are already more quarterback needy teams this year than i think we expected with all the trades that being said there are other avenues to getting a quarterback than drafting one that i i, yeah. I think we i think we can start pointing to what happened this offseason and a couple of the past offseason to be like Listen, quarterbacks are suddenly a movable piece. Their quarterbacks are starting to realize that they have 
a little bit of control over their future and they're they're taking advantage of that, whether it's Matthew Stafford or Russell Wilson or any of these guys, like it's starting to become the new normal. And I'm starting to believe this isn't just a small sample size of a couple of unruly quarterbacks or unhappy quarterbacks. Like if if Brad Holmes builds this team around with, you know, fortifying the defense, getting some offensive weapons, and he really feels that off the quarterback is the last piece of the puzzle, well, maybe he'll throw three first-round picks at whoever is available that's already an established guy, and then you're talking about making this team an immediate contender rather than going through the risk of developing a quarterback like Malik Willis. You, you bypass that completely, and, you know, you, you can't bank on that happening, but I think it, it's a way to maybe think about how you rebuild a team in a different way. Yes. Fair? Yeah, no, totally fair. I, I, I think the, the one last thing that I want to kind of punctuate this with is I, I think the, I think the benefit to taking somebody like Malik Willis at two prevents you from having to invest that further draft capital, right? You're, you're sure. not talking, you're not talking about trading future first round draft picks. I mean, those are picks that you can keep in your pocket, but I think it's important to keep in mind who Brad Holmes is and where he came from. Yep. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that he's less need. I'm not saying that he's going to throw caution to the wind, trade all the draft picks that, that the Lions have for proven talent. But I think Brad Holmes understands draft picks are a commodity and they have a value. And it doesn't just need to be a, a player that gets selected with that pick. It can be It can be for, you know, proven talent. And I think that Brad Holmes, I think he's going to show in this draft, Lions have nine picks. Do you guys think they're, they're going to take nine players? I'm not sure. It's a good question. I'm not sure. So I, I guess my point is, like, Brad Holmes is going to do some maneuvering. And he, like Eric said, he's got two first-round picks going into next season. There, there's a lot of chance for maneuvering. And, you know, I, I, I think that, the Lions are in. I think they're in good shape. That's it. Wrap it up. We're done. Spot for green. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, all right. We do have two more questions that we're going to get to, but Jamie, appreciate the question. Uh, definitely a conundrum that the Lions are facing. That should be interesting to see what they do. Uh, let's go to Jake next. Jake, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How you doing, buddy? Can you hear me? Yep. I'm doing good. I had just two things. Uh, one, real quick, you were talking about impact players earlier, and I, I, you know, kind of a big guy in the middle of the line that's super athletic sounds good to me. Um, but I know you guys posted that, uh, seeing that Brad Holmes is willing to trade down, but um, do you guys have any insight? Is he, like, actively seeking trades, or is he just letting teams kind of come to him? Um, good question. Uh, I don't know if, if that – sort of thing is typically made public based on, you know, what he said this week, it, it sounded more like just only he, he had gotten a couple calls. So other teams had reached out to him. I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I've never really thought about how those sort of trades come to be, but I think in general, they're, they're kind of motivated by they're They're kind of sprung by the team that's trading up, right? Because they're the one that, that, that kind of has to – they're the one that's going up to get a guy, right? There, there has to be a motivation to trade up at all, and they call seeking around anybody that's willing to listen to, right? Is that, is that fair I, to say? I, I feel like I get that vibe. I, I feel like Brad Holmes turns on an open sign, and then teams start calling. Like, right. I, I truly feel like if you're a team that's interested in moving up, well, then 
you start the negotiations. Like you start with an offer and then, and then I respond to that offer. You feel like that's probably the way things go, Eric? Yeah, I, I think these conversations are natural and they happen every year. Um, teams are typically going to be, they've got their board set at this point. They, they know the ranges of players that they like. And so then they start calling the teams in that range and they start saying, hey, if we were looking to come up, what kind of offer would it take? Or And they start at least laying down some foundational discussions around the pick because or a potential trade, I guess I should say, because when they're on the clock, they need to have these scenarios like already out on paper so that they can say, okay, now I'm going to call this GM to see if this GM is still interested in that trade. So this is just foundational research. I think that that's happening right now. Um, there's a couple, there's got, there's probably a couple teams that, that, that like one of these edge rushers more than another and that fit their scheme. And so they're saying, Hey, or, or maybe they want to, they want to get a tackle ahead of somebody else, or maybe they're in love with Malik Willis, like who knows. Right. And so there's all these different, uh, scenarios. And uh, by the end of it, I'm sure they'll have like 10 different teams they will have talked to. But as we saw a couple years ago, uh, just having the foundation of, you know, having these foundational conversations doesn't mean there's going to be a, a pick offered, right? A trade right. offered because uh, that was what happened uh, in the Akuta draft. Once Chase Young went, uh, the Lions started looking for people to trade with and, and everybody who had, they had had conversations with all said, no, I think we're going to sit where we are. And, and then no trade was even offered. So um this is, I think, pretty standard uh, discourse. If, if I can add to the conversation, how realistic do you think that it is that the Lions get an offer on, on trade day? Because I think early on the process, we all kind of said, nah, I don't know, there's not a quarterback. There's only a couple edge guys, maybe for an offensive tackle, but not likely. It seems like the conversation has shifted a little bit, and people think there's at least a better chance of, of having a, a, a tango partner, but um, – I don't know. I, I, I'm personally skeptical that they'll be able to find anybody, but I'm, I'm curious where you guys stand there. Yeah, I'm typically skeptical of, the, of that as well. Um, you know, they're not in a spot where there's a team, you know, directly behind them or in front of them that has a specific need that would in, entice someone to come up. Um, it would just have to be, I like this guy and I like him so much better than everyone else. And he fits my scheme so perfectly that I'm willing to move up. And I think that is, that's a, a difficult and, and unique situation to try and uh, find themselves in. Yeah. And I think when it comes to trading back to, I, I think that, you know, for all the mock draft simulators that people like to use myself included, um, when you think about some of those guys that a team might be willing to trade up for, I don't really see like any teams that are like, I don't know, within the top 10 where a lot of Lions fans want to move back. Like they want to move back, but they don't want to move too far back. I I don't think that there's any team in the top 10 that's like, oh, we absolutely need Evan Neal on our team. Like he's going to be the the final piece to our our offensive line and then we're going to hit the ground running and we're going to be a playoff team. Like I I think that, that that's what I find so fascinating about the Pittsburgh Steelers' interest in, you know, in Malik Willis. Like if it's legitimate, I think that they're going to have to move up pretty high to do it. I just don't know if Lions fans would be all that excited about moving back to 20. That'd be a tough <laughs> it, sell. <laughs> it, it, it would really depend on what the return is, right? Yeah. If, if they're walking into next year with three first-round picks, 
that's awfully, you know, that's going to be a lot more appealing. If they get uh, pick 20 and then you start talking about another day two pick plus first round pick next year, well, okay, now it's starting to get even more appealing, right? And, um, or how about how about if they throw Minka Fitzpatrick in that deal, huh? Huh? Come well, on, Eric. Come I know it's positional value of safety. Let me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, thanks for the the question, Jake. Uh, I think we're gonna go to our final uh, question here on on our Spotify green room chat here, and it's our friend Nathan. Nathan, are you there? Yeah, guys, save the best for last. How y'all doing? <laughs> good, man. Good to hear you again. <laughs> yeah, man. Likewise, man. I'm getting ready, revved up for the Kool-Aid drinking season again. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> um, so I got three questions, real quick questions. Uh, first one is to Mr. Matthews. Uh, do you feel Malik Willis is a franchise quarterback? Because my argument is if you take him at two, he sure as heck better be a franchise quarterback. I do. And I think that his floor is a little bit higher than people are willing to give him credit for. So I know it's all the talk about the sky high ceiling. um, And Mm. I think that there's a lot of potential with him, but I think with a guy with the athletic traits of Malik Willis, like I think the floor is higher than some people will assume um, that, that his, do you you trust Mark Brunel to coach him up? Right. Because I feel like they need to move from Mark Brunel in my opinion. Um, you know, maybe somebody more, maybe somebody newer, more innovative, Mark Brunel's old school. Just listen know, to him talk. He sounds very old school. Br- yeah. Brunel was one of the original dual threat quarterbacks in the NFL. That's true. And, true. right? And he, his job before quarterback coach for the Lions was uh, coaching up college players to prepare for the NFL draft. So okay. I, I think Brunel actually gets undersold a little bit here. Yeah. I guess I just look at the development of golf, you know, like I, I expected him to kind of really work with golf and golf, golf struggled a lot in the beginning of the season. He got better at the, at the end, but I think it more so was just, I, I expected him to really, you know, really, you know, work with golf and get him ready for the beginning of the season. But, you know, he struggled a lot. So I, I was just kind of curious because that's going to come to the blame. If the quarterback struggles, the coach is going to get blamed for it. The quarterback's coach, you know, sure. that's why the linebackers coach is not even on our team anymore. Because the linebackers got awful terrible. Um, um, last two questions. Uh, do you think, because I know we got DJ Chark, do you think that going into the season, Amara is going to be our number one threat? Because I feel like him and Goff developed a really good rapport the, the pretty much the, the second part of the season. And I don't think Chark just comes in and just becomes that number one threat, even though he is an X receiver and he's got 4-3 speed when healthy. But I feel like Amara is still going to be the dude. I think him and Goff had a really good rapport with each other. I think I think that might be fair. Uh, I mean, I, I think we can get caught up in numbers and things and say, you know, who's what. They, they serve different purposes. But in terms of, you know, week one, who is Jared Goff going to trust more? Yeah, I, I think you're probably right that I think Amon Ra is going to be kind of that go-to guy, especially, you know, maybe on like a third and short. I think he's going to trust a guy like Amon Ra more out, out of the gate. I think that could certainly change by the end of the year, but I think I think that's a fair assessment, at least early in the season. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think this team's offense still moves through the slots. Um, mm-hmm. You still have your best weapons in the slots right now. The One of the big values of, of Chark is that he's going to uh, – create opportunities to open that up. One of the things we talked about last year, because we were having the same conversation last year was they need a field stretcher in order to open up uh, the slot options. And 
you know, they tried to acquire them and they just never landed on one. And that's one of the reasons why the offense struggled earlier in the, in the year. And then you had Josh Reynolds and he was able to kind of stretch the field a little bit more and then that opened things up. So yeah, I, I definitely think that the, the slot is the best option for the lions. And, and if you're looking at, if you want to, you know, get statistical and say who's going to get the most targets per game, I think uh, the sun god is definitely the guy. <laughs> I agree with you 100% on that. Okay, and the final question is: I can't believe anybody's said anything about it. I I didn't listen to the first 10 minutes of it, but how about how do you feel about the Lions on Hard Knocks? I mean, come on, who is excited to see Dan Campbell every day being mic'd up? And just the stuff that he'll say, and I pray to God that they get a lion out there so he can walk with it. Because <laughs> I know Pat McAfee talked about it, yeah. and there was rumors about it, and I know PETA is going to have their issues about it, and that's whatever. But how <laughs> awesome would it be to see if he was, like, barking at somebody or if he was about to let somebody off the team and the lion's, like, literally right next to him, just, like, bar- like making a roar, and then he's like, you're done. This, the, sound, the sounds more like Game of Thrones than Hard Knocks. <laughs> hey, with Dan Campbell, you never know what's going to happen, man. True. Uh, but yeah, no, I I couldn't be more thrilled for Hard Knocks. It, I know people have complained that it's not good anymore or it's tired or whatever, but um, I it it brings it a whole new life when it's your team. And I've been dying mm-hmm. for the line to be on Hard Knocks for for a while. Um, Eric did a good job laying out all the reasons why. Uh, on the site and I, I think the only one I would add is just I want to see the inner workings of this franchise right like this is a mm-hmm. franchise that's been ridiculed for for years and years for for what they've done in terms of their product on the field but I want to see like not not that you're going to get any complete answers but if there's anything going wrong if if like people point to ownership and they just say ownership's doing a bad job and you can say that but you don't really have any proof as to what like what did they do that was wrong well, now it's we're different gonna, too. Yeah, and now we're at least going to have a, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain here in a way that that you just can't get from you know the the DetroitLions.com media team because they're you know teams going to say like eh, don't show that or we're not going to show anything in in the negative light and not saying we're going to get a lot of negative stuff from Hard Knocks but there's a chance we do and it'll be interesting to see like where would I have done something differently inside this organization. Um, and that that's aside from all like the the crazy entertaining of, of just like Dan Campbell, Jamal Williams, this coaching mm-hmm. staff, just listening to a, 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 any of these coaches get behind yeah. their players. All that stuff is going to be crazy exciting. But for me, it, it's just getting a peek behind the curtain really for the first time ever in this franchise. That that to me is exciting. I, I agree with you. I think that the fact the Lions got hard knocks and the same day they got the draft for 2024, I think it really sends a message that the NFL is really trying to build up these lower teams. I mean, look at Cincinnati. They went from the worst to the first to get to the Super Bowl. So it gives the hope that the Lions fans that, hey, it can happen for us too. You know, but it's got to start with good, good vibes and starting off with getting on hard knocks, you know, having a, a good, a better season, getting the draft at our place and then, you know, continue to build the team. And then hopefully at, at some time, you know, we'll be ready to rock in the NFC North, you know, because I think that the, the plans in place and, and the, the pieces are being done correctly. And I think that it's just a matter of time. So I agree with you. I think it's a it's a big up for Detroit. I mean, they needed this, you know. Uh, anything from you, you two guys on on Hard Knocks, or or do we got it covered? 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's you've basically covered it. It's 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 a uh, should be exciting, um, and you know hopefully the it's not just the team but it's the city that gets uh, the positive exactly. attention it deserves. True. Fair enough. All right, Nathan. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you joining us. We'll talk soon, guys. Absolutely. We're going to try to be doing these every Saturday up until the draft. Awesome. Look forward to it. Hopefully be on the draft as well. We got almost 200 people here listening, which blows our numbers out of the water from last year. So thanks for everyone who listened to live. Thanks to all you who are listening on the podcast. If you want to join us again next week, 1030 a.m. Eastern, Saturday mornings. Download the Spotify Greenroom app. Follow Pride of Detroit, and uh, we'll, we'll get talking more Lions. But Until next time, for Eric, for Ryan, I'm Jeremy. Thanks for joining us. It's chaos. Be kind.